This is the Forgotten Ways Podcast, the show where we explore what it looks like to both love God and honor the earth. Join me, Brandon Scott Elrod, in fun interviews with friends who are clergy, philosophers, politicians, business owners, and regular folks like you and me, who are all learning and growing in both our faith and our environmental stewardship. All right, everyone, we are back with another episode. This is Brandon Elrod. I'm here with Doug Brown, my longtime friend, former pastor, went on to form a nonprofit that helps people struggling with infertility and holds a master's degree in philosophy from Talbot Seminary. So welcome back to the program, Doug. Excited to be back. We are talking today about uh, media and its coverage of environmental matters, specifically climate change and sensationalism. So sensationalism in the media as it relates to to things like climate change. So, Doug, you're you're a savvy individual. You read (laughs) all the news outlets. You you have a your fingers on the pulse of of how things are being reported and how information is being communicated. And from a philosophy Mm. perspective. Yes. Um, you're noticing some patterns. So what what's going on with the, the current state of journalism? Yeah, well, we have some things to talk about. I mean, really, um, I think we have fallen in love with the communication style hmm. and not what we're communicating. Communication conveys meaning. We're, you know, when someone speaks, they're trying to convey what they mean. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I hurt. You know, some, this is important. I'm communicating a fact. Uh, but for what I think we see in the modern media is a style of communication, regardless of what's being communicated, Interesting. regardless of what the, what, what is the meaning is they're trying to get across. It's the way in which they're doing it. Um, and it's kind of like when you get in a fight, with your significant other, right? The, the person you're with. Um, and you realize all of a sudden you're not arguing about the thing anymore, whatever oh, yeah. the thing, and you're just arguing about the way you're arguing. <laughs> I think that's the entirety of the current climate we have, especially around topics like environmentalism. I mean, uh-huh. in, the, in the climate and climate change, all we're arguing about the way that we're arguing. <laughs> and I think it's got to change or else we'll go on forever, you know, because it's an endless supply chain of things to complain about. Mm-hmm. If we're complaining about the way that we're complaining, does that make, okay. you know, it's like yeah. this vicious cycle that we, well, this agency said this horrific thing. Well, the, well then they are horrific and this mm-hmm. is, and it's like we're so far away. We can't even see the topics anymore. Is this even journalism? I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. As much as much as a couple fighting about the way they're fighting is actual conflict management. Yeah. I don't know. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think you could even coach me and equip us in thinking how much of the conversation out there right now is about the actual topics. Right. Like, I mean, you, you're you equipped. You know that what what we ought to be talking about 
is the conversation even in the ballpark? Because for me, it feels like it's not. It feels like we're just arguing. Yeah, you know. that's not so. That's a great point. Um, and yeah, there there is a a question in that. Um, I, I think backing up a step in, yeah. in in talking about journalism, it seems that investigative reporting that classic journalism has kind of fallen by the wayside. Yeah, and what we're left with is the op ed. <laughs> the, the opinion piece. And you know, right. op-ed stands for opposite of the editorial. That's yeah. where it was located in the newspaper. But that was where somebody writing could infuse a lot of personal opinion into right. the reporting. Right. And it was in its own separate category, on its own page, and people knew that's what they were reading. I am reading opinion now. Right. This is no longer the who, what, where, when, why. Yeah. This is opinion. Right. And I... I believe that that is now the norm. Yeah. That opinion yeah. drives most reporting. Right. Secondly, I believe that very few sources mm. disseminate all the information. <laughs> right. And we, I think we've all seen those clips where you'll have uh, 20 different news outlets yeah. reporting the same story with the same joke. Yeah. With the same punchline, <laughs> with it's identical. Yeah. It's canned information. Right. It's not. So you have to wonder where does this funnel up to? Yeah. Who is the person pulling the, the strings behind this information that they're clearly trying to sell me? Right. Exactly. Um, and as far as the you know what is being reported, um, gosh, it's it's tricky. It's tricky because I think a lot of times you have divisiveness that is intentional. Mm. A lot of be- what's being put out there is intended to separate people. Yeah. It's intended to elicit a reaction. It's intended to pick a fight. Mm. And it's intended to make us feel that there are two sides and that it's okay to pick one. Mm. When um, I don't believe that that's necessarily the case. When you talk about the the classic argument of sea ice, uh, the Arctic sea ice, Antarctic sea ice. Yeah, yeah. And you'll have the one side that's just adamant, we're losing sea ice, it's melting, <laughs> we're losing sea ice. And then you have another side of the coin going, guys, we are accumulating we sea ice. There's sea more <laughs> than ever. <laughs> right. Well, which is it? Right, exactly. Well, and in that case specifically, this report that came out uh, uh, several years back, the information was being taken from the same exact report. Huh. You have, at the same time, in the same season, you have Arctic sea ice that is depleting, and you have Antarctic sea ice that is accumulating. Hmm. It's happening at the same time, and yet right. it's being separated and parsed into different sound bites. Yeah, it's by, maybe by people's opinion of what's happening, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. But they're both facts. Yep. You have places where sea levels are rising. You have places where sea levels are falling. It has to do with tectonic plate movement. It has to do with groundwater being pumped out of the ground. It, it's happening. How can they both happen at the same time? Right. And so you have different parties mm. pick a side, take the information they want, and go pick a fight. Right. But it's, it's universal information. It's our information. It's humankind information. Mm. It's our data. It's not opposing. Yeah. It's just data. It's the people. It's the sources who are creating and picking the fight with it. So yeah. I think that is the reality of what, what's happening yeah. by and large in the media. Are there exceptions? Of course. Yeah. But I think that's, that's 
what's behind a lot of it. I wonder how much of it goes back to the birth of 24-hour news. Mm. I, I always think that, you know, there's this idea that we have to fill every second, every space with news, with words, with, with opinions, mm. with something. Yeah. And something that's going to gather people's attention. Um, I remember hearing and, and reading about reports from people who were who were opposed, who never thought 24-hour news could work. You know, <laughs> how could you actually ever talk about something for that long? And they settled on this, well, we'll talk about the issue. And then we'll bring on someone to talk about the issue. Then we'll bring on someone to talk about that person, how they talked about it. <laughs> and then it's like, well, what can we actually figure out a system here? We got enough that we could really fill every every moment of this day yeah. with stuff, and I wonder how much of that we've just we've just hit the gas on. And now there's slivers, like you said, of data and mountains of of opinions about the data. How much of that is that we can only consume so much? You know, me as an individual. The amount of work it would take for me to get to the data is it's hard. Yeah. So. I'm probably consuming more opinion, more thoughts, more arguments, you know, more styles of communication than I am data. So I'm I'm left confused. Right. I'm left with like, where on earth do I fall on some of these things? Do you remember local news channel on the radio KFWB? <laughs> I news don't. But tell me, tell me about it. <laughs> give us eight minutes. We'll give you the world. <laughs> Is the opposite of what you're talking about. This was my childhood, listening to the news in the car. Eight minutes, the news would refresh. Yeah. Like, every eight minutes. Because there was eight would, minutes of news. They would give you the same news report yeah. every eight minutes. Yeah. And just, hey, if you tuned in for, for the next 15 minutes on your drive, here's the news. Right. Eight minutes worth. <laughs> kind of the opposite of what you're talking about. Exactly. So. It's You know, I think we talk, we've talked a lot about on this podcast that that their issues deserve nuance. And I think news is the same thing. I think our right, our freedom of press is amazing. Our, our ability mm-hmm. to tell a story and tell it the truth that people need to know is, is a huge part of our society. And it's one of the things that makes us so amazing as a group of people, as a community, that we're able to review ourselves. But I think there's enough nuance there to say we are also missing the mark with the amount that we're communicating and that, and that we are competing to communicate. And mm-hmm. some part, sometimes it's good to com- compete to communicate, but other times it is detrimental to, to the way that we're forcing people to process yeah. information. I've heard reports, you might know better than I would, that the average person would consume a certain amount of you know, data in the 80s, 70s, 50s, you know, all the way back to the 1800s, compared to now in our modern world, how much data we're consuming, um, it's, it's, we're unable to keep it all. Hmm. So if we're talking about margins, like we're only, we're only getting a bit of it. Where are we? What are we letting go of? Yeah, Yeah. What are we letting go of? Where are we creating space? Are we letting go of the good? Are we letting go of the bad? That it's almost like a, we are curators now instead Mm. of, instead of consumers like we, yeah. we it's on us to almost curate what we're what we're consuming well let's talk for a moment about how you were, you were talking about style let's talk about how some of these these media 
uh, channels disseminate information. Let's talk about the, the concept of mm-hmm. sensationalism. Yeah. Um, what What is it in and of itself? What, in a nutshell, is sensationalism mm-hmm. um, in the context that we're talking about it? I believe in the context that we're talking about them is it's the creation of of a it's a really a creation of a fallacy in a way it's the creation of a straw man that must be burnt down and it's not necessarily solving an actual problem but we've created a frenzy to destroy an issue that might not actually be there and okay. it's, and it's created this. Uh, uh, something that you can rally around, uh, mm-hmm. a feeling, um, this army cr- army cry to destroy something that's not actually there. And I think at, at the heart of a lot of sensationalism are scarecrows, these straw men that actually don't exist, where, where the media creates a topic that must be destroyed. When in reality, maybe that's the, the thing that must be destroyed isn't really as real as we think it is. And do you do you think that is because it's intentionally distracting from a real issue, or because it just sells more news? You know, I'm divided on that one. I don't know. I'm I'm inclined to say it just sells the news. You know, it just it's really something to talk about. And I mean, we've all heard stories of you know fake news of people doing that. I mean, even personally mm-hmm. in my life, you know, email chains about things to pray for. Or, you know, about the horrible things that happen, you, you look it up, it happens to be false, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we've created this whole thing, this moment, this cultural moment out of solving a problem that's not there. That's terrifying for a society to, to be spending that much energy on solving problems that aren't real. Yeah. And that, that, that's terrifying to me. So then when it comes to uh, one of the leading sensationalized topics, climate change. Yeah. Um, then, I mean, this is, it's everywhere, right? It's everywhere. It's on, um, you know, liberal news channel outlets, uh, conservative news outlets. Mm-hmm. You got the fake news, right? right. Uh, you have the fringe news that's right. coming out of <laughs> who knows where <laughs> this stuff's right, coming yeah. from. Um, so how, What's what's the effect that this aggregate has mm-hmm. on on culture when when mm-hmm. things are just presented at that heightened sensory awareness? There's there's uh, you know pain involved. There's risk. Yeah. There's potential catastrophe. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, a hallmark of sensationalism is playing on those things that are reactionary. Right. You know, I'm visually afraid i'm afraid i'm uh, i'm panicked you know that that sensory reaction is, is there um and and it's played upon so it's hard for us to to get into any type of logical decision making when we're just being peppered with these sensational um Inputs, so it, it's hard for. I like. I go back to curating. You know, it's like we almost need to curate what's incoming. I think of it like this: say, if you were give to give a group of engineers a problem, 
the thing that they're going to want to get to as quick as possible is the data, is the information. Give us what we're working with and we can put something together. But we don't, we don't treat ourselves that way. We don't treat the members of our society that way mm-hmm. where we're, we're fighting hard to give them, you know, real common facts that are easy to understand, that are peer-reviewed. I mean, no, it's not how we work. We, right. we work in those sensationalistic hit you with these things the the you know literally florida will disappear <laughs> right, we know we right. will we will burn up by this year um or or on the flip side everything is fine we just keep mining do whatever we want this earth is just it's nothing is wrong so i think on either side we're just hammering people with the this information that we're selling as totally truthful um, but we're not we're not giving people really what they what they need to know to make decisions, which is which I think we need to fight uh, to get back to that to, so that we're not terrifying our children, you mm-hmm. know, or, or creating this sense of, of, a, of a world that, you know, has no risk whatsoever. We have to be more in the middle and have real data. So one of the current examples that we have is um, the young teen activist from Sweden. I believe you pronounce her name Greta Thunberg. Yes, I think that's right. <laughs> um, she's been in the news a lot. She's doing a uh, you know a, a protest every Friday at school. Yeah, um, she was invited to the UN. She sailed to the UN right. on a you know zero emissions. Zero emissions. Yeah, yeah, she's all in. Yeah, um, and. From a sensationalism perspective, you have one side that, or one source that easily caricatures her and what she's passionate about. Right, right. And then you have the other side, the other extreme, who is making her a messiah. Yeah. Um, but she had these words to say, and I want to get your thoughts on these words in in light of sensationalism. Yeah. Uh, Greta says, this is all wrong. I shouldn't be standing here talking about the UN. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean, she said with tears in her eyes. Yet you all come to me for hope? How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Yeah. What do you hear in her in her voice? What, what do you hear yeah. in her words? Yeah, I think Greta, she's awesome. I think for, I, just for her level, her, her ability to command a crowd and stand up and, and be a voice. She's off the charts. She's awesome. I think in that quote, in, in what, what I'm hearing is this sense of why did, why did you put me in this position? Mm -hmm. And I think that it is a reflection on us. I think what I hear in her, her words is an invitation to be reflective, an invitation to, Look at how we created a, a situation where she could rise to worldwide popularity uh, because of the way that she's speaking. Part of that is her and her 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 ability to just be awesome. Another part of it is a, ref, a deep reflection on this the 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 system that we've created, mm-hmm. and I think it goes back to sensationalism. Um, Looking to a child to say, you have to be our Messiah because these adults are are just driving this earth into a fiery grave. 
I mean, that's that's the world we've created. That we have created a system that says if you're not sailing on a boat to the UN, you are burning the earth into the ground. <laughs> right. it's, it's not either of those. Probably, right. I think we need to have more of a centered conversation where someone like Greta could be a voice that's heard and dealt with and embraced and brought in and made, you know, it's all part of this, this group effort to solve some of the issues, to dispel some of the myths and to, and to find center. Yeah. But we love her, but we love her because she is this like sensationalist mantelpiece. And I think yeah. that I almost feel bad for her in some ways in that she's going, she gets put up as that, you know, she yeah. gets, she's hung up in the center of the room. Like, look at how awesome she's doing. And it's like, yeah, but is, should we be doing even that to her? Right. You know, and is we, that sensationalism. Is itself? that exactly because we, we do the same thing to, to president Trump. We, we, we we put them both up and we you know we let them conflict and we let them crash into each other we make you know jokes about how she gives them a glare i mean it's just we're doing it to ourselves yeah we're we're allowing ourselves to be torn apart by our desire for that just sensationalistic feeling yeah. so thinking of the the lead up to <clears throat> a figure like like greta and how she's being um Represented, potentially exploited, yeah, in, in the media, potentially. Um, what is the lead up to this? Well, we've seen many uh, news reports and, and and articles about the this doomsday apocalyptic mm-hmm. end of times. Except it's not biblical this time; it's environmental. Yeah. We've got eight years, like <laughs> 10 years at most before the entire U.S. is submerged. Right. Um, and if you guys don't do something by Tuesday, uh, <laughs> we're all as good as dead. Yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of sensationalism, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of handpicking. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take this soundbite. I'm going to take this data. I'm going to take, and I'm going to construct this, this case, this, this yeah. um, paranoia with it. Um, I mean, really, that's what's paved the way mm-hmm. for someone like Greta. Yeah. So, and of course, you know, these reports, they're having to be revised. Like, oh, well, you know, there was this other thing that <laughs> didn't get factored in. So we have a little bit more time now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, we got nine years now. Don't worry. <laughs> come on, guys. But um, question then is, in light of, of this if you want to call it chicken little skies falling or sensationalism, or this isn't even really about the accuracy of the data, right? This is about the story that's being told and how it's being presented. Um, What patterns, and I know you've worked with youth, Mm -hmm. what patterns of emotional or psychological trauma do we see emerging with this messaging in young people today? Yeah. Um, and what kind of role does this sensationalism play into that? Yeah. Whew, I mean, that, that's, that's a huge topic. And I think one that probably is overlooked. It's got, I mean, I would say it's definitely overlooked um, in this entire topic of even the political sphere, sensationalism in the media. 
I think we create a culture of fear for our young people. Um, and, and they're, they're raised with this constant drip of, of media outlets, um, having them be fearful of everything, of conservatives, of liberals, of, of, of the earth being burned up, of us mining too much, all of it. It's, mm-hmm. We are we are constantly we are creating a, a culture of fear, um, and and I don't think good decisions are going to be be made because of it. I think what we're creating is a is a frantic fever pitch that we're out of control and that we don't know what we're doing. Um, and even as I say that, I think that is the that is the, the Greta move, really. Right? Is like you guys have dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much have we communicated that we've dropped the ball? You know, like we, we, we're in a way we've said, you know, because of the, the, the way we're communicating the news outlets that we have, we're just admitting, yeah, we've dropped the ball. But is that really the case? Are we comfortable saying that we've done that? Or we as, or should we as adults say, no, we're, we're part of the, this community, this conversation and we need to lead the charge in it. Right, because because the, the fear that we're allowing in our in, in our younger people is going to cause them to to rise above where they're at and try to take control of the situation when they ought not to, or something worse, right? Or live in a crippled state, yeah, emotionally, right, where they can't function or mm-hmm. where everything is too much and overwhelming. And I mean, when we were kids, yeah. There were only two things to be afraid of. <laughs> yeah. Quicksand. Yeah. Because <laughs> every kid's show had quicksand in it. Right. So we knew that was the number one risk in the world. Right. Which I've never actually encountered. <laughs> I've thought about it a lot, though. Quicksand. It was a way bigger risk than than, than it turned out to be. <laughs> uh, the number two was razor blades and Halloween candy. <laughs> I've yet to find one. I've yet yeah. to find one. And that was it. Yeah. That was the big fears. Mm-hmm. And around Halloween, okay, I'm going to think about that. Okay, all right. You know. Yeah. But that was so, I mean, it's silly, right? But it's so small and so segmented, so compartmentalized mm-hmm. that even if somebody were legitimately terrified of one of, one of those things, it, like you encounter it one day out of the year. Right, right. Like so take precautions that day. Right, yeah. For somebody who is, in the modern sense, receiving this overstimuli, the sensationalism, this messaging that we're all going to die, mm-hmm. and it's going to happen real fast, yeah, because some people, yeah, won't, <laughs> whatever, you know, whatever, yeah. fill in the blank, yeah. Um, what what's the the potential there for for damage for actual? concerning impact on, on our kids. Yeah. I think, you know, having work worked with youth before, I think the, the potential damage is that we're asking people who have not come to age yet to take on a problem that the adults in their life should be taking on. And what then they do is they, they cease growing and learning and they take on that, issue at the level in which they're capable of doing. So you have a 13-year-old takes on the issues of the environment the way a 13-year-old would. 
Um, and then they, the, what the problem is they cease developing mm-hmm. because they just continue to try to solve the problem as if they were a 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. They may be a 35-year-old, but solving the problems as if they were a teenager still. We haven't given them the space to, to come into maturity We've just punted the problem to him because of because of the fear that is there. So are you saying that the way that it's being represented, it, sensationalized, mm-hmm. has potential to have the same effects as trauma? In a way. Some yeah. kinds of yeah. trauma yeah. that would imprint on a person. Yeah, and that, well, I mean, that's what that's what trauma does. Trauma removes you. You know, it asks too much of you too soon. Um, it, it it forces something upon you, um, and that's in, in a way. I'm not saying it's the same thing, but in a way, that's what we're doing to young people when it comes to the fear that we've given them about the environment. Uh, because we've asked them to take on something too soon. Mm-hmm. We've asked them to take on the solving of of the world ending before they've grown. Yeah. Um, and I think we could do a better job at that. That's not to say that any time a young person speaks up, they're wrong or, or that they have bad ideas. It just means why we aren't, they don't need... <laughs> We, we put them in a position they ought not to be in. Yeah. And that's on us, I think, as adults, to say, well, we're still in it. <laughs> You're here. We will guide you. But you don't need to be afraid. You, know, you don't need to be afraid at night to go to bed because the world's not going to exist in the morning. Right. We're, we're here. We're in the driver's seat. And we're in this conversation with you. So where might a... In the context of this being... You know, sensationalism, this big, scary concept, exploitation, coming from the top down, whatever these news sources are, disseminating this information, this is so far beyond our reach and beyond our control. Mm -hmm. As Christians then, bringing this back around to what is our role, how do we engage with culture, how do we be light and truth and Mm -hmm. represent the heart of God? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we step into some of these silly things like sensationalism and, and yeah. very real topics, but yet they're just being made into scary cartoons? Right. The Earth right. is ending, and it, it's you can count it on the calendar. You <laughs> yeah, can mark yeah, it. It's yeah. coming soon. Yeah. I mean, how's that any different than uh, the the rapture is happening July twenty seventh totally. at two p.m. Exactly. Yep. I think for us, it's jumping in. We, I think we need to be, I think when we're dismissive, it creates more fear. I think what we need to do is to jump in and to understand the conversation, to become better at knowing what the data points are. Use the wisdom that we have, the maturity that we have, to be able to start to cut through and figure out alongside the young people that are in, in our lives what the issues are and teaching them how to do that. That means we probably need to jump across whatever your line of thinking is, jump across and start to equip yourself on the other way of thinking. And as you do that in the presence of young people, you bring them into the way, the way an adult would approach a situation. Hopefully caveat that we're all acting like adults. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we're not doing the same thing that we're not wanting them to do. But if we're doing that as adults, I think we invite them into a certain way of processing information, viewing the world 
that they need to be doing instead of just saying, well, you figure it out. You know, I have my opinions already. Let's show our young people how we got to our opinions and maybe even be willing to grow and change and and update our opinions. Mm -hmm. You know, I I, certainly that resonates with me. Um, It it took me a while. You know, I don't like feeling like I'm being sold. I don't, mm. I, you know, you sense it when somebody's got an agenda yeah, or, yeah, you know, yeah. and we're talking about journalism here when there's an agenda, they're trying to sell me something I can tell. And so <laughs> I, I know for me, I would just get rigid and put my walls up and mm. reject it. Right. Reject it. Cause you know what? I just, I can't sort through all the messaging and filter out what's truth and what's misinformation, what's propaganda, what's we, what's actually being sold here? Right. Um, and so it, it finally came down for me to just starting to dig in and look at things, look at the data, look at data that was being referenced, but really nobody's looking at. Yeah. Read the studies and and just start processing from a personal, non-biased perspective. Yeah. I'm taking off my, you know, political hat. I'm taking off my um, career hat. I'm taking yeah. all these, and I'm just taking it and processing it like an intelligent human being. Yeah. And the reality is, is that there's there's a lot of, you know, as far as climate change and and the question of is yeah. it real and, and all this stuff. If we're even just looking at the Bible, right. we see all kinds of climate change in the Bible. Yeah. We see climate change that is ordained by God. Yeah. Catastrophic climate change. Catastrophic <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Droughts and famines and mm-hmm. pestilence and blessing and return right. of crops right, and yeah. rain. And that is consequential or reward. It's it's yeah. very much tied to human action. Right. Right. So we have that in the biblical story, but we also see climate change in archaeology. Yeah. We we have so many archaeological sites right now that are for the first time in centuries accessible. Hmm. Um, a lake in Bulgaria that the water level has dropped enough now to to reveal the ruins of an ancient basilica. <laughs> right. Like there's a church right there from the 400s. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, that clearly means that in the 400s... There was no water. Water was really low. Yeah. So we see this ebb and flow. Right. We see it in the ice ages that we've had. It There are some natural cycles that clearly happen repeatedly. Right. There's solar flares. There's magnetic pole shifts. There's the biblical record. There's all kinds of stuff. Right. Um, So... For me, part of the education or the communicating with with children or whomever, even just building bridges, is yeah. I got nothing to sell. Right. I've got nothing to prove. Right. But here's what we see yep. in the data. Here's what we see as we study and discover. Yeah. Here's all these cool archaeological articles yeah. that they're finding amazing things all over the world. Right. That's fun to talk about. Right. But there's also a climate-related takeaway in there as well. But I don't have an agenda. It's just mm-hmm. let's take it and read it and learn from it. And yeah. And so some of that, I think, yeah. when we can put it back into the context of God created the earth and the universe as a system. Mm-hmm. There are processes. There are 
there's an ebb and flow. There's an energy cycle. There's periods of rest. There's periods of replenishment. Yeah. He's got it all built in and factored in. Yeah. And yeah, there are some boneheaded things that we do. Right. To interfere with that. Yeah. But um, we can we can do a better job, take mm-hmm. better care of the place. Right. But a lot of this is just outside our control. Yeah. But you know what? Humanity survived. Right. <laughs> We're still here. Right. Yeah. I think to, it's to me it's the invitation to become a learner. You know, to be to, the invitation to be, to become some uh, the type of person that that is willing to investigate and to be reasonable. I think you. Oh, first you have to be a learner and you have to become reasonable. So I think it's, there's a challenge even in, in that. But in addition to that, it's welcoming young people into that process instead of, like I was saying, you know, kind of punting off to them, um, inviting them to explore those things that we're exploring, the discoveries that we've made, the, the ebbs and flows that we've seen. It, it provides for them a level of safety that there is that there's that there's people who've gone before them that are that are caring for the environment and that are understanding the changes that are there without having to go into this sensationalism about you know panic movements in right. either direction and i think for us that would create a, a more safe dialogue for our you know maybe not for our kids but our grandkids like there will be more generations like what will, if we've created this sensationalism where we're kind of yelling at each other back and forth what will come next you know fist fighting you know full on separations and, and war yeah. i mean you don't i mean we live in a very modern time but you know we could fall back like will there be wars will there be sanctions will there be separate we don't want to go that dire- the direction of sensationalism is barriers and walls and, and fighting. And, we, and it's, and it's dishonor. It absolutely. How, how yeah. do you learn to have a, a healthy dialogue yeah. with someone that you don't see eye to eye with? Yeah. That's a really important life lesson, but it depends on adults modeling that. Yeah. And if all the adults that you're surrounded with are, modeling the opposite it's right. it's all being bent out of shape and everything's a personal attack right and right. we got to prove the other person wrong right. and and these these articles and, and responses devolve into outside of journalism into nah yeah. <laughs> totally yeah it's it's like being on in a schoolyard yeah it's like th- this entire topic is a reflection on society at large yeah. and the way that we deal with issues. Yeah. And are we making them worse or are we making them better? Yeah. Um, and, and it really involves at every level of, of relationship, of family, of, of children, all, all of it. How are we approaching a very difficult topic like the way we care for the environment? Yeah. There, are, there are things that have gone too far in either direction. How do we find the middle? How do we find what's right? It requires a, a, almost a whole issue, a whole set of, of ways of dealing with life that are healthy, you know? Yeah. Healthy relationships, healthy ways of exploring new information, yeah. healthy ways of, of, of checks and balances. There's really there's no way to avoid it. There's no way to there's no way to shortcut a conversation about environmentalism 
without really beca- dealing with the whole health of everything. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's a great point that we can close with is in asking ourselves a question of where where do Christians fit in this process, with, especially with you know information coming from these high sources that we have no control over, but they bring fear, they bring um, you know paranoia, they bring trauma potentially, right? Um, and these and the way it's being communicated creates unhealthy modeling for our kids of what it means to be a good citizen and be a, a good um, conversationalist and solve problems together. Yeah, lock arms with people. So I think the opportunity for us as, as Christians is to look at look at how we are responding. Mm. Is this how Jesus would respond to someone who disagrees with me? Yeah. Is this um, am I am I retorting back at people? Because I feel threatened or hurt or not listened to, mm-hmm. or am I am I genuinely caring about people, giving them the opportunity to be heard? Uh, there's there's just some basic human um, thoughtfulness in in how to engage here. So I think that's that's where hopefully the takeaway today is is to be more Christ-like yeah. in in how we reach out to people and how we. How we show them love, mm-hmm. even if we we don't agree on everything. Mm-hmm. So, well, for now, that is that is it. But Doug, thank we, you, thank so you for much. being here. Yeah, it's always it's fascinating. This, all of our topics have been so wonderful. It's it's great to be back. Love it. You're welcome anytime. You've been listening to the Forgotten Ways podcast with Brandon Scott Elrod. To find out more, visit forgottenways.org. Join us next time as we once again explore what it can look like to love God and respect the earth, beginning with our own heads, hearts, and homes.